When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hi, villains. Hi, villains. For the love of Paul McGrath podcast, for the tactic stock here for uh, the, the 2 0 win over Newcastle at the weekend, a delayed tactic stock to my um, excursions uh, yesterday, but uh, I wouldn't have had it any other way, I suppose, really, after, after what happened yesterday. But uh, we did say we would bring you something, and we do have something. It is a bit of an abridged tactic stock uh, based on what we did last week. But uh, really, the, the reason it's abridged is more that. We've got Barrow tomorrow. We will be coming with coming at you with a team sheet tantrum and um post match reaction uh, of the Barrow game as well. But uh, Paddy's back, as you can see. Paddy's uh, not in the woods anymore. He's in the much more safer confines of his uh, of his apartment above in um, above in Dungannon. So, Paddy, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It's a lot better than the woods and a lot warmer. But uh, <laughs> yeah. We had our, our teddy bears picnic on Saturday afternoon watching Aston Villa and what a fine result it was to clear the uh, emotions for the night and have a few nice cold yeah. beverages to, to celebrate. So uh, there's a few cans open, let's say. Excellent. Excellent. In the wild and in the woods. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know what? You should have done it this week because the weather is supposed to be banging this week. It's supposed to be really nice this week, but uh, it was a bit well, drizzly last I Saturday. I wouldn't do things the right way, would I? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I wouldn't expect it. Um, but anyway, less of our uh, outdoor pursuits and more of uh, Aston Villa won a game. We're three points on the board, three points for a possible six. Um, and Aston Villa won against against Newcastle United, um, as I say, on a 2-0 scoreline. Fans back in the stadium. And uh, to me, it sounded absolutely brilliant hearing football fans back in stadiums, hearing the songs being sung, hearing Jacob Ramsey getting the applause that he, he, that, uh, that he deserved. And, uh, you know... People being there to see Danny Ings go live. Wasn't it just fantastic to be able to see people in the stadium again, Paddy, properly in the stadium in Villa Park? Absolutely, yeah. And, and the outpouring of emotion on social media from people I follow and people that I know, you know, that had just, just such a special day, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, guy that sits in front of me said the atmosphere was incredible. He took his uh, his grandson for the first time and sat in my seat. So he, he was... Uh, very grateful for that and a great occasion to come back to after uh, after all that breakout. So um, after 18 months or whatever it was since we last saw Villa Life, um, you know, it was just amazing to hear the songs, specifically at the end. I thought we were a little bit cagey at the start, which is, but once that second goal went in, I thought the crowd were immense and, and the Newcastle crowd in fairness to them were great early on as well. You could hear them in full voice. But uh, slowly started to peter out, just like their team did. Yeah, and that's actually 
you know, a, a quite good description. They did really peter out because they started pretty well. They were getting balls into our box. They were getting down the side. And obviously, Callum Wilson had that had that uh, golden chance. And I have no idea what he was doing. I can only think that he thought that it was going to be a free or that VAR were going to pull back something for for in the build-up. Because I thought it was a foul on McGinn, and I thought he fouled uh, Tyrone Mings. Small and all as it was, he just ran into Tyrone Mings and knocked him away from actually trying to get the ball. It was almost like he had no interest in trying to win the ball. He just wanted to knock Tyrone Mings off his course. And then he went in, and then he puts it pretty badly wide. Mm. Uh, yeah, poor finish. Start with the finish. It was a very poor finish, considering he was one-on-one. And probably could have chipped Emmy Martinez from where he was with this with the skill that he's capable of. But uh yeah, foul him again, definitely for sure. Um, don't know whether they've gone would have gone back that far with VAR, but definitely a foul on Mings. And I'm gonna say it, I was disappointed in Mings for not going and attacking the ball in the first place. Uh, I felt he could have got out ahead of uh, Wilson, but he didn't for whatever reason. But yeah, definitely definitely first. You know, it, there wasn't a close-up of it because all they were worried about was showing the miss. But uh, yeah, he definitely, uh, he definitely fouled Mings in some some shape or form, and we probably would have been looking at VAR chalking it off anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we didn't even need to worry about that. We got our fair share of uh, of VAR um, niceness, I think, during the course of the game, and and and, and really, I suppose we'll probably get onto that later. But um, before we do, um. What did you make of Villa's setup? What did you make of how you felt Villa played? And what was the marked differences, I suppose, between the Watford game and the Newcastle game? Um, well, I think the marked difference, first and foremost, was was the energy of Watford versus the energy of Newcastle that just wasn't there. Watford were set out to attack. Newcastle were set out to defend. Albeit, they did have their chances, as we just said. Um, but that's, you know, a one-on-one. There was no, there was no such thing as attacking in numbers which would have caused us problems. But uh, I think keeping the likes of Almiron and St. Maximum very quiet, which we did throughout the game, was was the difference in what we couldn't do last week with Ishmael Astar and uh, Dennis or Denny, whatever his name is. So that that's the marked difference with regards to our opposition. Um, for ourselves, um, Ashley Young looked more assured back there than Matt Target did last week. Um, Douglas Louise made a big difference coming back in there into the middle. I think we look a whole lot more assured on the ball in midfield. Um, and, you know, the big talking point for me was the inclusion of Jacob Ramsey, and he was absolutely mm. immense. From start to finish, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we'll get to the man of the match later on, but <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I... I... I was pretty effusive in my praise of him um, directly mm-hmm. after, during the game, directly after the game. And yeah, I've already anointed him in the match anyway, Paddy. So it's uh, it's done deal already uh, with regards to that. But he was really good. It, it, I'm not going to say it was a coming-of-age performance of him. But what I think happened was we saw... Uh, we saw him give a similar performance like he did against Arsenal. He came out against Arsenal at the end of last season. He just started to bully players, started to try his weight around, you know, get in side by side, hip to hip with people. And, uh, you know, if you get in hip to hip with people, you're not going to give way free usually. And, uh, yeah. you know, he was he was quite good. I thought he was fantastic and played in a bit more of a withdrawn role, but was given the opportunity to kind of go forward with the ball. I thought 
I thought watching the game that he carried the ball progressively forward. I thought he did it loads. But then when I look back and I look at the stats, he had actually only one dribble um, in the whole game. But it didn't matter because he did things right with the ball. Yeah, he might have passed one or two out over the line. I think he passed one directly straight out over the sideline. But he tackled back at one stage with beautiful tackle on. I'm going to say it was Almiron. Um, but it was he had to get a 100% right uh, because it was almost a tackle from behind. But he absolutely nailed it. And yeah. uh, he got up and he played the ball to McGinn and, and we had a little bit of a counter-attack from it. But no, looked look very composed, assured, mm-hmm. and you know wanted to kind of intimidate their midfield because, let's face it, their midfield that they started weren't any great shakes. They just had tons of people in there to stifle the play. Yeah. Um, I suppose the, the attacking side of things, it, it was kind of the old style of, of, of drawing a player in before releasing the ball, as opposed to keeping the ball moving fluidly. And because of that, it seemed like he had the ball at his feet a lot longer. That's the way I saw it. Um, but very clever use of the ball, good range of passing. Yeah, passing went astray. That happens, you know, it's going to happen to everybody in the game. But, uh, you know, you say it's not a coming of age. I thought he came of age at the end of last season. I think I think he's part of the the setup now, and I think mm. I think he'll be an integral part of this squad going into the long, long season ahead. He he did something, as I say, he did things that that we were missing against Watford, and that's what I really wanted to see. Because when he came on against Watford, I thought he was really good as well, carried the ball a small bit more. But like he had joint, he had the the joint most tackles in the game, um, like yesterday as well with Matty Cash. And Jacob Murphy, um, you know, and to get that out of a central midfielder, that's what I wanted uh, Marvellous Nakamba to do, but he just wasn't in the positions to affect those tackles. And we look at maybe some positioning maps in a moment of uh, of how we feel the game went. But you no, know, Jacob Ramsey, I thought was fantastic yesterday, and um, you know, there was actually two or three people I thought you could have given man a match to, could have given it to McGinn, you could have given it to Tyrone Mings, but uh, I think that uh, Jacob Ramsey. Definitely was the man of match for me anyway as well. But let's talk about some of those incidents in the game. And uh, Paddy, I suppose, Danny Ings scored. Talk to me about it. <laughs> I, I was going to build it up, but there's no point because everybody no, knows he's got yeah, an yeah. absolute world. Yeah, everybody's seen it at this stage. Yeah, and, and I, I just want your opinion on it, really. <laughs> well, I, I suppose the, the overriding thing for me is it was an incredible goal. Mm. Um, when when you look at someone doing an overhead kick, it's generally just a bit of luck where it flies in. But it was mm. just an absolutely remarkable piece of skill and and technique to finish it the way he did. Um, you know we have a we have a set piece coach in there now who seems to be very animated on the sideline from from what I've seen and heard. Um, every time we got a corner or whatever, and the ball on and the camera panned on Dean Smith. He was up there and he was in his ear and he was barking out instructions. And everybody seems to say that that's what he was doing throughout the games. Even in defensive situations from set pieces, he was out organising the team. So you might say he's paying off. I'd say we'll we'll wait five or six weeks and see if we score a few goals and defend set pieces a lot better before before I pass judgment on that. But look, credit where it's due. If if Matty Cash has that... uh, long throw in his armory go and do it go and use it that's that's the way i've always felt uh, about a long throw i hope we don't go back to the days where uh we'll have players get, get, getting it out for a corner instead of a throw 
like he used to do with, with Rory the lap when he was really. taking his throw-ins because uh, we never score from corners, do we, Neil? No. Well, you see, that's what Aston McPhee is in there for. And uh, remember David Challenor for Tramier Rovers? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he'd get the ball at the halfway line. And then you just see the centre halves pile up into this into the into the box and you're going, What's going on here? And then all of a sudden your man had dislocate both his shoulders, whipping a ball into the box from the halfway line. He was a freak of nature the way he was able to throw the ball. And like so much so that like mid to lower lower um Premier League teams were saying, Listen, he's only gonna cost us like two hundred and fifty grand. We just go out and buy him because it's <laughs> such uh it's such a weapon. Um yeah. Uh, yeah, that was he. He was a crazy, crazy. Uh, he was the first one that really, really brought it to attention. I think, and then obviously Roy Delap, and hopefully Matty Cash goes down with that as well. But it's it's an interesting one. Throw-ins, Paddy. Um, like the ball could go out of play for a throw-in thirty to thirty-five to forty times in a game. So being able to restart the ball, if I uh, be able to restart the game more efficiently in that aspect, is it's it's always going to be a positive. And I know it's very simple. You get your hand. You, Plant your feet in the ground. You put your two two hands, uh, your head, the ball behind your head, and then you throw forward so you don't make full throw. But it's whatever whatever comes from that in the design set pieces. Not even just in around the box, but how do we create space from those corners so that when somebody picks up the ball, there's maybe like call it what you want, like like NFL pre-drawn plays that you can do from throws. I think it's very important. I think it is something that probably it's it's a marginal gain that people are looking at and um. Listen to the Claret and Blue podcast earlier on today. They mentioned that David Moyes said something in a in a um in a post match interview last year, whereby he actually mentioned that probably the next area of scrutiny and the next area of development and evolution is going to be the how throwing tactics are being used because it just happens so many times during the course of a game. Yeah, well, you you, you look at the defensive side of it when you, when you when you're actually defending an attack, your your first option is to put it out for a throw as high up the pitch as you can when when you've got a sniff of the ball because and I have nothing to back this up but you, you very rarely see a, a quick throw leading to something special it's always the defensive team are always well marshaled and, and well drilled to get back into position and you know so if you can find a new way of doing things well an old way of doing things <laughs> that just isn't done anymore you know, we're we're gonna. This could be the season of the long throw. We're we're gonna see other teams try it now. That's mm-hmm. the thing because if 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 we see a goal like that going in, if that if that ball is thrown into the box, Mings flicks it on, hits five or six people, and it's bundled over the line. Nobody's talking about the long throw. They're talking about a scrappy goal. But the mm-hmm. fact that the goal came the way it will, a way it did, you're gonna have everybody talking about this, and it's just gonna be a pain in the arse probably. But look, if that pain in the arse is getting those goals, I don't give a shit where they come from. And look, if it has other teams focusing some of their efforts in a, in their pre-match build-up for Aston Villa and their pre-match coaching and you know their game planning to say, God lads, we gotta take we gotta make sure that, that like we gotta be absolutely nailed from set pieces. Get that bit of doubt in people's mind, in, in teams' mind. Look, yeah. it's it's very important because like teams will know they will look at the stats previously and go Aston Villa don't score from corners and you know the running joke where I had to sing a song last year uh, when Villa scored from a corner. Now we've got a set piece coach. Danny Murphy started talking poorly of of the whole idea of a set piece coach. People are talking about this, so Villa are going to go to Brentford at the weekend and they're, they're going to go to Barrow tomorrow night and it's going to be a case of every time we get a corner or a throw. People are going to be talking about it. It's going to be in the other team's minds 
our guys have nothing to lose by it because you're still not under under any expectation to actually score from set pieces. But what what the other team are are, are going to be wondering now is what are they going to do? Where's where where's the play coming from? What's you know what what rabbit up their sleeve are they going to be putting? And realistically, we've got no sample set to say that any of this is even working. So to me, it's all positive. It's all positive. And Danny Murphy well, can spend as much negative and, it, negative and everybody that listens to me other than sour dour Danny Murphy. <laughs> said it in a positive light. Yeah. But Danny Murphy had to throw another spin on it because that's all it is, is fucking spin. Yeah. It's absolute shit talk. What's a set piece uh, expert there on the side of the pitch for? There you fucking go, Danny. That's why he's there. The, and Neil Cutler did, was the set piece like coach. Neil, Neil Cutler was a set piece coach last, coach last year. Like, the, the, the thing about it here for me is that just because we've brought him in isn't a negative on, him, on anybody else. He's probably just better at it. So why not bring in somebody and devote him to being better at that than having somebody like, yeah, you okay, fair enough. He was saying, oh, Dean Smith should be able to do that. You know, he's the manager. Yeah, Dean Smith might only be 30% or 40% as good at set pieces, which let's be honest, you know, not everybody is a king at those. But if he goes, right, I'm going to devote more of my time to actual game planning. Austin, exactly. you come in, you do all yeah. the set pieces. Dean Smith has more time to get into the intricate details that, that affect more of the play in around the field mm-hmm. in open play. And then Austin McPhee then hops up off his off his seat and takes takes over then. Yeah. It, there's no negative to, to outsourcing work and to delegating the work. But it's literally just, business one on one, like it's just shit how stupid, yeah, yeah. No, if you if you go into body more heat, I guarantee you there's more staff there than players. Dealing with the players, 100%. that's yeah. just the way the game has gone, and I guarantee you, there's a whole lot more than a set piece coach there behind the scenes that we don't know about. So I'm not even I'm not even going to talk about him again because for me, he's just like talking about Kevin Friend. He's a sour <laughs> bitter little man whose own career petered out and never got into anything major in sport other than being a sour little pundit on a shit radio station. So let's move on. Yeah, and, and Paddy, and for anybody who wants to know what Paddy's real thoughts are, because he's just completely sat in the fence there about <laughs> Danny Murphy, yeah, join Paddy's OnlyFans, and uh, you'll be able to see it there. Um, <laughs> and I promise you, I don't take my clothes off either. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that anymore. On that, so it's, uh, oh well. <laughs> How do you know that, Neil? I don't know, you were telling me about it. <laughs> I read an article. Um yeah, so that was goal number one. I think goal number one came That's out of very, very positive. What? Moving swiftly along. Um the 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 second or the first goal that we got it was scored uh like in injury time as well in the first half. Once again, buoyant mood going in at halftime. Uh other team are like going, Oh my god, like they wouldn't they would have known Newcastle would have known that they were maybe up there with the possession stats, they would have known that their passing stats were up there and that there was nothing in it between the two teams, but they go in one nil down. That's a bit of a deflation for for uh, Newcastle, and obviously our guys must be must have been beaming because if that's just bundled over the line, it's a case of all right, lads, we got lucky with this one, but it's not. It's a worldie. So they go into the dressing room. They're like, "Oh my god, Danny, what the hell? That was an absolute belter!" And there's just positivity and there's a nice yeah. feeling within the dressing room, uh, with it within the, the the villa dressing room. And likewise, I'd imagine that they're inside there trying to figure out how the hell it happened in the Newcastle dressing room. Going, "Oh my god, why didn't you get to? How did you let Mings come across you to flick on that header? You know, there was potentially was a blame game going on inside there. So. From a sports psychology point of view, it's very important, very important, those goals and 
God knows that we have uh, conceded a lot of goals in that period of time, just before halftime or just after halftime. So if if we're adapting and evolving to be able to score goals in those, those at, at those stages in the game, and if we bring back our our uh, early game and uh, momentum that we had last season, where we were scoring goals in the first 10, 15 minutes of games, we'd be very, like they, they're the two most important times to score games because they're they 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 throw the other team's game plan out the window. You know, they throw the other team's yeah. game plan completely out the window. And then we got second goal, Paddy. Second goal uh, was an assist from VAR. Um, obviously, ball came in, another set piece. Tyrone Mings, or um, John McGinn crosses in a ball. Tyrone Mings gets his head to it, and it hits off uh, LaSalle's hand. Uh, was probably going in, but, mm. you know, I don't know what unnatural positions are of hands in that instance when you're only three and a half foot away. I think it was a penalty, but and VAR agreed. What was your view on it, Paddy? Well, it's simple. A guy's hand stops the ball going into the back of the net. It doesn't matter where his hand is. Unless his hand is down by his side, it's a penalty. I don't care what anyone says. And why... They were looking at it and why they had to call the referee over is absolutely fucking baffling. I'm absolutely baffled. And why people are questioning it is absolutely baffling. Literally, the guy's hand is out. The header hits his hand, which yeah. is out from his body. It stops the ball going into the net. There's no question in my mind that's in the back of the net. His hand isn't there. And there's, there's nothing to be answered. They're all saying, oh, yeah, VAR was great to us. VAR did its job. Yeah. Albeit, yeah. we'll get to it later on. There was one I, I thought Newcastle were particularly hard done by later on, but this one was absolutely spot on. Yeah, was, you know, I, 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 I had no arguments whatsoever. And the minute I saw the replay, I, I said to Stephen, I said, if this isn't given, hmm. there's going to be war because that's absolutely ridiculous. The guy is five, four or five yards out and he hits his hand, stops yeah. going into the net. There's Remember no the Matty Cash handball last season? Was it against Man City? You know, like yeah. that was like that that yeah, handball. That, was uh, cross goal. that wasn't that wasn't even yeah. on target. And he was facing away from the goals and he, his hand was like this. So he's trying to you know, moved his head out of the way and everything because he yeah. thought he was gonna hit him in the head and hits him in the hand penalty. You know, so little things like that. I think I, I, I don't mind about that about um VR giving us that. I think it was because it was going into the goals, it would have been a goal otherwise. And uh also um you know it's it's it, it's 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 applying the rules the same way across the board um and, and look that's if that's going to be the rule going forward and that's fine you know mm-hmm. give penalties for it we'll give penalties to everybody for it i think is the big piece talking about that other var uh one that you're on about i presume you're on about the penalty that they didn't get yeah well there's a lot of things wrong in this first of all we're told that these borderline decisions wouldn't even be looked at that's the way i that's the way i took up the correspondence but the correspondence is so vague that they can row in and, and and row back on everything they do, especially if it's one of the bigger clubs. We got a, a huge slice of luck there. I, I have no doubt in my mind that that should have been play on and a penalty. I had no problem with it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. The, day, the days of someone's toenail being offside has to be over. You know, that's, I, that's the first time I saw them draw lines this year. They looked at a Man United decision in in the first game, and there was no lines drawn, and it was it was answered very quickly. So why spend that much time trying to draw a line which didn't even look straight in comparison with the halfway line? It's just baffling. Why why we're going back to that? 
if, if you're if you look at a replay and somebody is not visibly offside, just fucking play on. I just I just don't know what they're doing. They're overcomplicating it for everybody so they can still go back and and slightly change the rules if it means that one of the big six are going to be fucking missing out. And that's the way I see it. It's not it's not changing. You know, they, they'll make those decisions based on what they want to happen. And yeah. they, don't, they don't do themselves any favor, any favors. And while I'm at it, when have you ever seen a player been booked and it been overturned by VAR and the yellow card standing? That's the rule. It happened in a French game last night as well. And it happened in an Italian game last night. And I just happened to see it on Twitter. The VAR rule across the board is that, that well, it, it stops the... So the analogy I used for this was, yes, the player wouldn't have transpired if he was called offside there and then. But what it stops is, let's say the ball goes out of play and then somebody just turns around and hits somebody a punch because there's no active play on. Are we saying that we can't send that player off then if it was something off the ball like that? So he still did what he did. It was a yellow card offence. And that uh, I, I'm, as far as I know, it's always been there. Well, I, I, I'll throw you back to the... The, the only person in the world that ever got injured, Virgil van Dijk, getting done yeah, by Jordan yeah, Pickford. Yeah. So when did the rule come in? But the ref didn't oh. book, book Jordan Pickford for what he saw in VAR. So the ref booked Emmy Martinez for what he saw with his own two eyes. VAR then intervened afterwards. And because it was that, because it, and, and then that's why it stays. So in that instance, Pickford, yes, should have been booked, I think is probably the, the real argument there. But the referee didn't book him. Well, that's he what VAR is there for. But VAR if he's gone over and watched that on VAR and hasn't said, I better book, at least book the goalkeeper for what he's done, uh, fair enough. But they spent so much time looking at a, a penalty incident in the first half where it was a blatant dive. And you never see anybody getting booked for diving for them. And what is the point in stopping the game to look at that if a rule... Yeah. That's there isn't implemented on the spot that somebody is diving, it's a yellow card. Agreed. It's just beyond belief. Agreed. It just absolutely baffles me. That one definitely should have been a yellow card, considering Ollie Watkins was uh, got a second yellow card and was sent off last season uh, in a game for something that wasn't even remotely as yeah. um, as blatant a dive as that. Yeah, yeah, once again. But once again, apply the rules fairly across the board. That's, That's all, all we want. Different. All we want is the same rules for everybody. Mm-hmm. When we get fair... Same rules for everybody. We won't need to talk about referees. Yeah, I would have more I time. Would love to, I would love to have the day that we don't have that. And I fear that the day we don't have that is the day that we spend millions and millions and millions of pounds on players and take over the Premier League because that's the only time we won't be talking about refereeing decisions, <laughs> in my I opinion. So. I think so. Um, Paddy, I want to bring up a couple of things here based on uh, just some findings. I have. As I say, I didn't go into as much detail as... Um, as I know, as I did last time, but let's have a little look at some tactical pieces. I'm not more so just kind of positional lineups because I thought that realistically I didn't care what came out of this game as long as we had a win and we set up our structure correctly. But let's have a little look here and let's see the um uh let's see let's see some of the, the statistics. So if you were to tell me when I was watching the game that Newcastle had more possession than us, I wouldn't have believed you. If you were to tell me during the game that our shots and our shots and target were going to be similar, I wouldn't have believed you. If you were to tell me that Newcastle passed the ball and passed the ball um, had more accurate passes than we, than, than we did, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, so, like, 
I know, as I say, statistics are, are, are important to have and to you look at statistics based on what you've seen on, on the play as well. But this to me was really eye-opening because I thought we played an awful lot better, but we didn't, like we had way better stats against against Watford um, yeah. based on, you know, what, how we um, dictated the play of the game specifically in the second half. But I never felt under pressure against Newcastle. And you and it was just kind of, it was eye-opening for me to see some of those uh, some of those statistics, specifically the possession one and, and the passing statistics. Yeah, can't argue with that. Like the one we came up with last last week of Matty Target, Matty Cash giving the ball away twenty nine times the most, mm. and and I looked at it and went, that can't be right. It was right. So the stats don't lie, but uh, yeah, it 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 is it, absolutely baffling, especially the possession, because I thought we absolutely bossed the game. But mm. it just goes to show that you, you never uh, you never actually do know until you look back at the stats, and and I know. With possession, if if you take too long over free kicks and 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 throw ins and and that it can skewer them ever so slightly. So yeah, fifty three percent is not is not much really. Yeah, yeah, it's done on uh, it's done on the time you're in possession of the ball more so than the more so than anything else. Yeah. Um, what does look a lot healthier is our one point four eight expected goals. Obviously, we we exceeded that. Um, their expected goals coming in zero point six nine. The majority of their expected goals uh, piece, I would say, would come from that uh, that Callum Wilson um, effort that he skewed wide, and also the first ten minutes where they got a couple into the box. There's a couple of ones that pinged around in the box as well. Um, they only had one shot on target. We had two or two shots on target. Obviously went in, which shows some good efficiency. Our past success rate, success rate went down week on week. Um, seventy nine percent this week. Last week we're up at eighty six percent past success rate. Um, so that's probably something I think that Dean Smith's going to look at because if you look down further, our crossing actually went down as well. We had twenty six crosses, we only sixteen this week. But then again, we weren't chasing the game and we weren't trying to. We were able to play through the middle of the small a bit more as well. I thought in this game, but look at our ex our expected goals in, in open play. We created nothing in open play. Uh, 0.15 was our expected yeah. goals and that's probably from the Douglas Louise shot that went over the bar the Matty Cash shot and probably the Anwar, Anwar Ghazi I think had a, a shot blocked early on in the in the first half so like we but didn't you, really you have a team, if you were playing against a team reverting to a flat back five mm. and, and a holding midfielder sitting in front of them your expected goal your expected goals from open play are going to drop anyway so that's no yeah. slide on us it was yeah. just when they sit so deep like that, it's it's virtually impossible to break them down. So that's that's yeah. the, whole, the whole reason for that one. Yeah, and look at our expected goals from set plays: zero point five four. Obviously, um, that's where our two goals came from. Um, mm -hmm. I think realistically, the the fact that well, the first goal didn't. Uh, sorry, the second goal didn't because it would have been that would be a penalty, and that was that's got its own specific expected goals rating of zero point seven nine. But from set plays, like everyone was saying, that it, it was def it was it was the set plays that contributed to it. Like the the level of difficulty based off uh, Danny Ings' first goal would have had a low expected goal rating. And once again, the reason I'm bringing all this stuff up is expected goals are great and they're the, they're the, they're the soup of the day at the moment, and everyone's talking about them, but they do not give a true reflection. It is what it it's it's a a metric that that, that shows you the difficulty of how a certain goal was scored based on historical information. And for me, you know, that's Danny Ings' goal, I would imagine. I haven't looked it up, but I imagine that Danny Ings' goal has a really low expected goal uh, XG rating. 
but it doesn't really matter. And I couldn't care less because I bloody enjoyed every minute of it going into the back of the net. So um, if you get too too caught up on, on XG specifically as a metric, you know, you will very, very quickly take all of the happiness out of football. Um, so that's why I'm bringing this up here. And it's not my one-man crusade to denigrate XG. I think it has got a place. It's got a place in singular measurements of individual players. And it's it's got a, a place when you look at it based on um, a long sample set, but looking at it at it in-game. And when I see people tweet stuff saying, our XG in the first half was 0.06, it means absolutely nothing other than we had we had problems taking shots. Essentially, that's what it was. We had problems fashioning shots. That's really what it means. It's not this completely and utterly apocalyptic metric at all. Um, it's it's that we had problems making chances right in front of the goals, closer to the goals. And, and look, that would be apparent anyway from the game itself. Let's look at some positioning maps, Paddy. This is how Aston Villa is set up, and this is where the, the average amount of time was spent uh, for players on the field. Um, as we can see here, we, looks to, we can see here that Douglas Louise, look at this beautiful, beautiful position that Douglas Louise took up. Remember last year, last week that we had our midfield three were almost in a line, but the line wasn't straight. The line was going forward almost we didn't have anybody in the pivot position right here on the edge of the edge of the circle but look at the way our midfield tree set up we have douglas louise here you know what i'm going to go even one better uh, give me a moment there patty i have uh oops where are we going to can you guys still see that yeah yes yeah. love it sorry we've got douglas louise in here in that pivot position number six got John McGinn over here and then we have uh we have Jacob Ramsey so they're the positions that they took up and when I bring in our um our opacity when I bring in our overlay here where the Newcastle team was look what has happened in this instance here our two our three boys really what they did is they tried to pack their midfield as we thought that they would do they kept their three at the back here and they brought they pushed forward Matt Ritchie and, and Jacob Murphy but what happens here is they had all these bodies inside here in the middle of midfield. And what, what did we do? We just threw our, our guys inside there. We protected our zones. We protected our areas. Didn't let them pass around in there. But what we did is we broke. So it was really, really important. So when I go back here, it was really important that Douglas Louise was able to position here because one of the biggest talking points was San, Alan Sam Maxim did nothing. And everyone was saying, oh, my God, Alan Sam Maxim did nothing. But like Steve Bruce really played into our hands playing him central. He didn't really play into our hands because if I move this back here, you know, it's Douglas Louise did such a, was, yeah. was was a stopper. Like he plugged the gap. So did Jacob Ramsey. And we'll go back here if I if I take this. Uh, oh, there's Douglas. If I take this part here and and just show you where the Aston, where Aston Villa lined up, McGinn and and Bundia stayed very very close to each other as well. So Bundia tucked in off his off his side. And to be honest with you guys, there's probably an argument to say here that we played four four two a lot in this game. Because look how high Anwar Gazi played. Anwar Gazi actually played further forward ever so slightly than Danny Ings did in that game. So there's a slight argument to be said there that while we did that we kept somebody very high almost in a 4-4-2 formation. And I saw it quite a lot in the second in the second half, whereby we tucked in a small bit more and um and, and Anwar Anwar Gazi did kind of push forward a small bit as well. So it's it's an interesting one. We're still seeing how how the tactics are going to um, 
evolve, I suppose, for this team over the course of the year. But that's definitely one to watch out for. Every time we had a set piece or every time they had a set piece, we kept two people up there. We kept someone on the halfway line and we kept Danny Ying central. Same thing happened when Philogene Bidace came on as well. We kept him high. We kept Danny Ying central. So what was happening was we were making sure that that if we won, we had a platform for a counter-attack. And that's going to be something to look look at as well going that, forward. That also comes back to the, the set-piece training. Yes. You, oh, yeah, 100%. You're looking at Danny. It was mostly Danny Ings and Emmy Buendia up on the halfway line. Mm-hmm. So you're taking your two smallest guys out of there that aren't that not given a job to go and mark a big fella. But you're also leaving them that they have to have three at the back to marshal those two guys so they're not overrun. Yeah. And yeah. You know, you're asking everybody's asking what's the, what's this guy Austin McPhee doing? That's what he's doing. That's what he's there for. Dean Smith doesn't need to worry about this. Dean Dean Smith needs to worry about how we're set up and 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 individual players and individual roles while the game is in play. And that's why he's there is to take the pressure off. Is to and most of all take the pressure off the team. So you're not you're not caught in situations where it's big man, small man, and the ball is bundled home at the back post or whatever, or headed back across the goal. So that extra man is pulled out of the out of the box for us. And um, there's a lot more space for the defenders to go and attack headers from corners or free kicks mm. defensively. So it all adds up. It all adds up and it, it's all quite positive. Um and you know it, if it continues this way, I, I'm a lot more optimistic. But uh I'm still on the fence about our, our hopes for this season, but I'm a lot more optimistic than I was last week. Interesting point for me is uh, Douglas Louise was obviously a very big plus point being back in there. And, and as I say, look, his positioning just shows here, slotted in between the two centre halves. It means that when they were able to go, when they needed to go left or right, we had another person in here to be able to cover any runners coming through from midfield also as well. But the other interesting point, as I mentioned here, when I was talking about Potentially, you know, it's an argument to be said that we played a four-four-two or four, or even a three-five-two when you look at it here. And I know Douglas Lewis didn't play centre half, so that's a bit silly to even say that because we did very much so play a back four. But what happens here is Emmy Buendia was coming back and that, it, almost in on top of John McGinn. But what this was allowing John McGinn to do is this was when when he was needed most. John McGinn was allowed to fly around. He was allowed to fly around and make those tackles in other positions and not desert his area in the field here. So uh, this is very important because John McGinn was arguably man of the match as well. He was everywhere. He was fantastic. So this uh, this allowed uh, John McGinn to you know to maybe move around this centre circle and, and and this this kind of these four nodal points here. So that it allowed John McGinn to to have a small bit more freedom because Emmy or Emmy Buendia was taking up that position. And once again, this also leads me to believe that while it wasn't officially or it wasn't a four four two, the fact that El Ghazi being a small bit higher here also gives us that extra out ball, and we don't have to just go up the wing, uh, go up the right wing to Emi Buendia, and it allows Emi Buendia to stay tucked in a small little bit more and to give us that more that bit more stability even towards the centre of just gap plugging um, pa- plugging up passing lanes, things like that, which I think. When we've got a small midfield and we don't have as big, big bulky midfield, that's what you need to do. You need to stop teams uh, passing through you, um, or you need to slow teams down passing through you. Because I, I don't think that Dean Smith ever wants to kind of stop teams passing passing through us because uh, 
you know, that he seems to concede areas in the middle of the field, as we've spoken about before. But just a really, really interesting piece there, I think, on, on the positioning from uh, Douglas Louise, the positioning from Buendia, and the positioning from John McGinn as well. Um, Paddy, what way do you think the team will just kind of shift tack a small little bit uh, for the last two or three minutes? What way do you think the team is going to line up against Barrow tomorrow night? Well, I'm hoping all of those players that have been sitting on the bench are getting game time. Um, you know, they, they arranged the game against Liverpool last week to get players game time. Put those players out tomorrow. Don't play the kids. Get 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 the players with uh, some minutes in the boots. Get Wesley on the pitch. Uh, who else was on the bench? Conor Horahan, Philogene Bedace. Get get all them on the pitch. Jed Steer, uh, Courtney House, um, Axel Tuanzebe. Uh, Freddie Gilbert, even Matt Target. Matt Target could do it 90 minutes under his belt. So I think I've more or less picked the team there <laughs> apart from the midfield. So, uh, yeah, that that's what I see us doing tomorrow, and I hope that's the case. I think so, too. I think it's going to be 11 changes. I'm not really too worried about tomorrow's game. I just want to see people get game time. Um, the interesting piece for me would be, I would imagine, Wesley starts up front. And uh, barring any injuries, I might even I might think that we might even see Ollie Watkins be on the bench. Maybe spring him, give, give him 15 minutes at the end as well, um, just to build up some sort of match fitness, provided that his knee is okay um, for the gene this. You know, you mentioned all those guys. The inter Another interesting point for me is that um, a player that was brought in with great fanfare, uh, Dimitri C, S-E-A, a French player, was brought in under the Tony Jarre regime, and he played with uh, Aston Villa's underage academy for quite some time. And he's actually going to be playing with Barrow tomorrow night. Um, he's a striker. He's a French striker. And he's got one in ten. So a little bit of a, a bit of, of a bit of a familiar face. And if we do play a lot of the young guys, they might have played with him before, you know. Mm. So it would be um, uh, that's just another thing to watch. But it's uh, it, yeah, it's going to be a much changed team. I think. Um, I, I don't think we see Emmy Martinez in goals. Even I think we see Jed Steer in goals. I think it would be very much be used like we were using those friendlies. Um, and look, sure, if we lose, we lose. If we win, we win. Um, I think that's very much the way Dean Smith's going to think about it. Because as I said in my predictions at the start of the year, the club want the club want to solidify in the Premier League because higher Premier League places, European places, attract the better players. Winning cups, not so much. Otherwise, Hull or um, Wigan would have um, would have uh, big name players at their at their clubs. You, you right certainly now. don't want to be going out losing the game tomorrow and drawing. No, 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 you don't. I don't think we will. We're coming to the joke will. that you know that Arsenal has been for the last two weeks. Yeah, but I don't want that from my club. I want, I want to go out. If, if you're going to lose, lose with a big a bit of dignity. But I certainly don't expect us to be losing tomorrow. The pressure is on us a little bit. It's live on the TV. It'll be the first time people see Aston Villa this season, and it's against the Minnows of Barrow. So. Um, you can be sure that Sky will be bigging them up and, and oh, yeah. pointing all the pressure towards Aston Villa. So I hope whatever 11 go out there are, are the 11 that are in need of game time. And I've no doubt that even if we put out the under 23s, we, we should we should overturn. And it most likely, it most likely will be a lot of last year's under 23s will mm -hmm. be there. Yeah. Um, and we'll be playing tomorrow. Uh, hey, we might even see both, we both might even see, see both uh, Chuck Mweka brothers. Um, yeah, uh, on the field at the same time. Actually, one thing I would I wouldn't mind seeing is wouldn't mind seeing Lamar Bogart in centre half tomorrow, or even as Finkels. Probably mm -hmm. Bogart based on um, based on uh, what we saw in preseason. 
but uh, wouldn't even mind seeing him on the bench, maybe bring him on. It's likely going to be House and Twins. Yeah, I think it's unlikely, given, given that we may need uh, House or, or Twins to step in, as, as he did at the weekend, for, for a few minutes. Um, it's important that they have competitive match time under their yeah. belt. Yeah. So, maybe, uh, maybe he plays Twins at defensive midfielder. Possibly. I, I'm, I'm not overly sure that's the, his way of thinking, but... Uh, he could do. He could. That could be why he brought him in. Who knows? We'll see. We'll, we'll find out in, in no time at all because it's only on tomorrow. And we will be back with a team sheet tantrum to react to this tomorrow. And we'll also be back with a post-match reaction show tomorrow of the of, of the Barrow game. Um, that's going to kind of do it for us tonight. Um, I'm, apolo- I'm going to apologize for my low energy hungover state. Um, it's not too often that I do the podcast with low energy hungover, but I am just about to fall asleep. Um, so I do apologize for that and apologize for curtailing the podcast uh, at such uh, at such an abrupt um, point. But uh, thanks very much, everybody, for for watching, for listening. I really enjoyed um, uh, all the interaction that you guys had over the course of the week. The aftermatch podcast was great crack as well. Uh, just an impromptu one popped on. Even Paddy was was chatting in the chat. Uh, I didn't want to, him to, to log in from the woods at that stage. But um you know, guys, thanks so much for everything. Um, as I say, it'll be a quick turnaround. We'll be back with a team sheet tantrum tomorrow. And uh, let's here's looking forward to the Barrow game. And I think there's going to be a lot of positives from it, specifically with regards to the team that we put out. But in the meantime, everybody stay safe, mind yourselves. And all that's really left to say is up the villa. Up the villa. Podcast Network.